This is Leaving Laodicea, the online podcast of Steve McCraney. I'm glad you're here. Stay tuned, because we've got some exciting things in store for you. Hang tight. You can't handle the truth. I uh, have been a Christian for quite a while, and pretty much I've lived a blessed life. I've, uh, I, I haven't lost a child. I haven't lost a spouse. I haven't had my house blown down by a hurricane. I have had some physical challenges, but I'm relatively healthy for a man who has mistreated his body as bad as I have for the last 62 years, or 61 years. I'm trying to do better. The fact is, though, that... Um, when I counsel with people, I look just at life in general or events that are going to happen to me, I realize that there are some things that happen that we really have a hard time understanding. And we always have that big why question. Why, God? Why did you allow this to happen, God? I prayed and begged and I had other people praying and, and I believe that you wouldn't let this happen, but it did. And I, I know I have to have faith in you, but sometimes our faith falters where we don't have enough faith to answer the question of why. God, if I was God and you were my child, I would never let happen to you what you've let happen to me. As blasphemous as that sounds coming out of our mouth, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've thought that. You, I don't understand, God. I, I don't understand why this is happening. It's it's like, and, I, and people tell me this all the time, I, you know, I trust God, but I need to know what's going to happen. I need to know what's going to happen right now, and I need to know what God's will is, and I need to know what it is because I need to understand God's will, but I also want to agree with it. Because if I don't agree with God's will, then I go back to praying, and I, I go back to struggling, and go back to worrying, and and that is exactly the opposite of faith. If God told you everything he was going to do before he did it, explain to me what faith you would need. The only faith you would need is whether or not God was a liar. And after he's already told you what's going to happen tomorrow, and it happens, and he tells you the next day what's going to happen, and it happens, pretty much your faith in his truthfulness would be really strong. And But there's no faith in his character. There's no faith in who he is. There's no faith in the big promises. What God does to us, it's like I do to my children. It's like a good father does to his sons and his daughters. He tells them the big promises. I love you. I would sacrifice my life for you. I will do anything to protect you. I will meet your needs. I love you. And that should settle it. That, that's it. As a child, we don't worry about stuff like that. We don't, we don't, um, we don't worry about whether we have a lot of money or not a lot of money. I'm, I'm kind of amazed when I talk to people who come from really, really poor backgrounds and they literally had nothing growing up. And their statement is always, we were poor, but we didn't know it because we always had enough and we were always happy. You know what I mean? And so it's the father's job, it's the, it's the parent's job to take care of those big promises. And we have no problem accepting that from our parents assuming we had good parents, 
and we have no problem accepting, uh, expecting our kids to accept that from us. But when it comes to God, we vacillate. God, I know that you love me, but. I know that you promised to take care of me, but. I know that you said that all things work together for good, but I can't see the good that's coming out of this all thing, so but. And we hit God with the comma buts. We make a statement about him, comma, and then we have our question. God, I know you love me, comma, but lack of faith. I know that you care about me, theologically, doctrinally, maybe in the past experientially, but comma, but, and we struggle with those things. And when we fall into that abyss, when we begin to doubt God in the darkness, things that we affirmed in the light, things that we bragged about him in the light, things that we proclaimed in the light, we find our faith happens to evaporate because we always expect God to do what we think is right. I mean, how do we explain natural natural disasters? I mean, we're getting kind of plummeted here as a nation, are we not? You know, we don't live in Texas, but since our gas prices have gone up like 50 cents since the big flooding down there, the hurricane, what was it, Harvey? Her Harvey hit the Houston area and just kind of camped down there and dumped a lake's worth of water on that. And we've seen the pictures and oh, how horrible it is. And we, you know, now that it kind of impacts us a little bit, we've, we realized, wow, that was a, that was a terrible, that was a terrible hurricane. That was kind of like Katrina, only it hurt us worse because hit our pocketbooks with gas prices. Then all of a sudden we've got this Irma, possible Category 5, could possibly be a Category 6. It's going to come in and, and pretty much decimate, possi- possibly, a lot of South Florida. I grew up in Florida. As a matter of fact, one of the islands that it's going across um, is an island called Marathon, Florida. Marathon is between Key West and Miami Beach and there's a string of... of uh, little islands that are down connected by these miles and miles of concrete bridges. Many years ago, there was a church down there that was interested in uh, calling me as a pastor. So we went down there and had a, an interview with them and all that kind of stuff. And Marathon is an island that is seven miles long and a mile and a half wide at its widest point. And you've got these 15-foot possible storm surges as this, as this hurricane Today is going to be passing over that. And I mean, what happens to them? I mean, there's churches that are there. There are good people that are there. Yeah, there's some bad drug dealers that ought to get washed out into the sea. We all agree with that. But there's some godly people and some elderly ladies. And what, what happens to them? How can we explain that? And then what we don't realize is the Pacific Northwest is on fire. And I talked to Morgan and they're, uh, uh, they're, they're having to wear masks because it looks like it's foggy, but it's just smoke as Multnomah Falls basically burnt to the ground. A lot of Montana's on fire. And we don't think about that because that's way up there. We're kind of focusing on what's going on down here. And how do we explain natural disasters? I mean, God, I don't understand. Are you bringing judgment upon our nation? Possibly. Or maybe he's just, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, removing his protection from our nation. Who knows? And then, of course, with all these natural disasters, we've got people that say it's Trump's fault or it's this person's fault. Like, you know, some political position has the power to create a hurricane. Is that like insane? Sometimes we hit financial setbacks. You know, I'm barely making enough money just to pay my bills and all of a sudden a transmission falls out of my car. Or all of a sudden a 
Now a terrible thing happens, and now I'm broke, I don't have any money, and what's going to happen? I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. And, and I don't understand, God, you promised to take care of my needs, but now I'm not able to live in a standard of living that I have basically decided I am worthy of. And in America, most of our standard of living is not based on the money that you make, it's based on the amount of money you can borrow. What happens when we have a financial setback? Or unfulfilled dreams, unanswered prayers. God, I, all my life I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to have just a sack full of kids. And now I'm married, or maybe I never got married and I'm 40 years old and beyond the, the uh, age of having kids. Or maybe I am married and for some reason I can't have any children. I mean, why would you do that, God? Why would you put this incredible desire in me to have children and then bash those? Well, why would you do that? Disappointments, mistakes, just stupid stuff, just crazy stuff. I mean, why does that happen? And sometimes our faith begins to falter, especially when we have family and friends who get sick and die. Now, we face that in our own congregation. Um, and how do you explain that? I mean, it, it's, it's one thing, it's one thing to pass away like my mother did, where she's in declining health. And I had a long final talk with her on Friday. We talked about heaven. We talked about Christ. We talked about a lot of things. And, and she's, she rallies on Saturday and her friends are going to the beach on Sunday. So she goes to the beach with them and, and she calls my brother Tuesday night. Oh, I'm having the best time of my life. I'm so glad I came down here. I love the beach more than anything. And then Wednesday morning they go down with the, she and two ladies and she gets in her lawn chair right by the lifeguard and she puts her sunglasses on and her friends say, we're going to walk down the beach and we'll be back. And my mom says, we'll see you in a little while. And they walk down the beach and they come back and she's gone. Wow. By the way, I, that's how I want to die. How about you? You know, that's how I want to die. Rather than getting hit by a bus. You know, I, I'd rather die like that. And, and so, okay, I can understand family and friends who get sick and die that way. Because, yes, God, that was merciful of you. But there's some Christians that agonize. There's some Christians that takes years to die. Maybe they have emphysema or just a, a lingering cancer. And I don't understand, God. Well, why do you allow that to happen? I mean, we prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing happened. I mean, why? Why do people like Sherry Myers and Jeannie Wynn pass away? I mean, Sherry was 40. Is that right, David? 40. I mean, she's got a husband and she's got kids and they're going to need their mom. And, and, you know, poor Jonathan now has got the responsibility of being a father and a mother. And I can honestly tell you that, that it's, I don't know how hard it is for a single mom to be a father, but I can tell you I would be up a creek without a paddle having to fulfill with my kids what my wife brought to the table. I can't. I don't have those, I don't have those gifts. I mean, how does that happen? Or Jeannie who, who just lingered on. And again, there are Christians who have lingered on much further, longer than that. And I remember, and I've shared this with you, the story about Bill Bright, great godly man. It took him 18 months to die. It was a terrible death that he had. And I remember thinking, why, God? Somebody is, is sold out to you as Bill Bright, campus of faith from Christ. And he started like 50 different ministries. He's responsible for, I don't know, maybe 100 million people worldwide coming to Christ. How does that happen? What? 
Why? Well, this one. Nick and Carrie DeClin, I think is what their name is. She's a uh, 37-year-old, strong Christian mother of five. Her kids range in age from 18, that's the kid with the glasses that's not smiling, because 18-year-old boys don't smile at pictures like this, to one. And all of a sudden, she discovered that she was pregnant with their sixth child. And the family was so excited. It was absolutely incredible. And so she and her husband, um, again, sold out believers in Christ. She and her husband got really excited about that. And, and during her pregnancy, she realized she was having some physical problems. And so she went to the doctor and they did a lot of tests on her. And in April, they found out that she had brain cancer. It was, an, it was brain cancer, and the only way that that brain cancer could be treated was if she would take chemo. There was no guarantee with chemo that uh, she would get any better, but they did know that her unborn baby would die. And with uh, five kids at home, she and her husband made a decision. Really, it was her decision, and she had to somewhat convince her husband of this, that I'd rather sacrifice my life for my child. There's no way I'm going to treat this cancer if uh, it's going to kill this unborn baby. And so she refused treatment. There are pictures of her in the hospital. She went into a coma in July, and she gave birth just recently to a one-pound, four-ounce little baby who will be in the hospital for months, but it looks like the child is going to be okay. And she passed away three days after the child was born. Why? God, if you're going to do a huge miracle, I mean, if you're going to raise somebody up from the deathbed, I mean, if you want to really bring glory to yourself, this is an opportunity. This is incredible. And, and yet circumstances like that happen. It's just the reality of life. God is sovereign and God knows exactly what he's doing. So when we're facing bad times, what we do, what we do is we try to justify it in our mind. I understand God while you're, why you're allowing my wife to die, but I need to have a purpose. If there's a purpose bigger than this, if there's some hope, if there's something I can hold on to, then I can accept it better. You know what? I understand, and Jeannie talked about this ever since she's had, she had cancer. You know, I think maybe through my cancer, Christine would come back to come back on Christina would, would come to faith. And you know what? It would be worth it. I would be willing to sacrifice my life for the salvation of my daughter. Got it. We all would do that, would we not? Yet she dies, and that didn't happen. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but it hasn't happened. So, so where's the purpose? I mean, sometimes, sometimes when terrible things happen, we seek for a purpose. And sometimes bad things happen for no purpose at all. I mean, there's obviously some person purpose in God's view, but we can't figure it out. We don't see it. It's not apparent to us. And we're kind of, we're, we're, we're kind of stuck in the middle. And sometimes we're the reason why bad things happen. I mean, if you're a, if you're a man who works 80 hours a week and you wonder why when your kids get 15, 16, 17 years old, they don't have anything to do with you, that, that's on you. That's you. You did that. If you're a, you're a husband and you're abusive, you know, you're, you're verbally abusive to your wife and then you wonder why you don't have a really happy marriage. I mean, sometimes those bad things happen to you. If you're, if you're a parent and you don't spank your kids and they turn out to be like kids that don't get spanked, <laughs> that's on you. Sometimes bad things happen because we make mistakes. Maybe God's chastising us. Some things, Sometimes bad things happen. There's no reason to it. Sometimes we can actually see a reason, but like, for example, with the, 
with a lady who decided to sacrifice her life for her unborn child. Got that. Sometimes we just don't know. And we kind of fall into this abyss. We kind of fall into this depression of, God, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why my husband left me. I, I don't know why my wife doesn't love me. I don't know why they, they've laid me off at work when I worked harder than everybody else. I don't know why I've got this physical illness that nobody seems to be able to take care of. I don't know. And again, when we're in the darkness, that's where faith comes in. That's where we have to believe God's big promises. I want to show you something today about faith that in our culture we have a tendency of forgetting. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, of course, is the roll call of faith. We've got all these people that God commends for faith, and, and we, um, we kind of read those and we decide, this is the kind of person I want to be. I need to have this kind of faith. The Christian life is based on faith. I'm saved by faith. I understand God by faith. And so what I want to do is I want to be the kind of person that could be listed in this Roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And of course, the chapter begins with us just talking about what faith is. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, God, tell me what you're going to do tomorrow. No, that would be something that I'm, you're seeing. You just need to trust me. You have to understand that the foundation, the substance, the basis of things hoped for, and the word hope doesn't mean wish. The word hope means a confident expectation. My God will take care of this. My dad will take care of this. And it's the evidence of things not seen. And then all of a sudden it starts listing those people who are honored because of their faith. Gosh, if I could just be like them. Because what happens in the book of Hebrews is, it only talks about the positive side of faith. Here's what they did. Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, and it was a, it was a, approved by God, and, and that's really incredible. Noah, of course, was commanded to build this ark, and he saved his family, and when all the world was gone, hey, that's great. Abraham, of course, was, was given the, the going to be the father of this great nation. Whoa! That's incredible! And all we do when we read Hebrews chapter 11, as we look at the positive attributes of faith, if I have faith, this good thing's going to happen. If I have faith, this wonderful thing's going to happen. In the spirit realm, sometimes in the physical realm, but in the spirit realm, but what we fail to realize is when you and I embrace faith, there's a cost. There's a cost that takes place. By faith, Abel. And it doesn't really matter what he did. The, the fact is he, he offered to God a more excellent sacrifice by Cain because he, of course, prophetically realized that uh, Jesus, the, the Lord must have explained to them about sacrifice and blood and all that kind of stuff. And so by faith, Abel offered a more to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, what did it cost him? It's life. It's life. I'm going to do what's right no matter what. And all of a sudden, Cain rose up and killed him. Probably left Abel's wife, assuming he was married at the time, and children, not a father. I mean, I don't understand. God, why would you let that? Cain should die. But, but instead, you let Cain live. You mark him and protect him so other people won't kill him. And you kick him out on, to, to kind of make it on his own. But come on. Abel dies. Yeah. Sometimes... Sometimes when we embrace faith, sometimes when we hold on to faith, it costs us something. By faith, Enoch 
was taken away that he not, did not see death. Oh, this is great. I mean, Enoch was this kind of guy that was so close to the Lord that, you know, he walked a normal life like you and I do for like 65 years, and he had a son named Methuselah, and all of a sudden, at that particular point in time, so something was revealed to him that his death shall bring about the date that the flood was coming, and then all of a sudden, he had this incredible relationship with God. So for 300 years, Enoch walked with God and walked with God so much that Enoch never died that God just took him. God just brought him up into heaven with him. And we go, wow, that's, that'd be incredible. Really? So what did it cost Enoch? wonder what happened to Methuselah. What about the ministry that I had? What about my family? Obviously, I had a wife. I had a son. had other sons and daughters, it said. And so God, by, by blessing me enough to take me away, to, to just have fellowship with you, to, to, it's almost like a, a picture of the rapture here. The reality was that it cost Enoch something. I mean, it, it cost him his loss on earth. It cost his family something. Where, where's, uh, where's my dad? I don't know. He just went off in some prayer meeting with the Lord and never came back. And we, we haven't been able to find his body. We, we don't know where he is. Prophetically now, God has revealed to us exactly what happened to Enoch. But what happened? I mean, even in Enoch's situation, we go, I'd love to have the kind of faith as Enoch and the relationship with God as Enoch had, it still cost something. And if it didn't cost Enoch something, it cost those who loved him something. By faith, Noah. I love this one. Being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, on and on and on and on and on. Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And it's believed when you take God's word in, in, the, in, the, in Genesis and tie it in with Peter that he may have been a preacher for 120 years. And nobody listened. Nobody. Nobody was interested. Nobody cared. He built this big boat in the middle of a desert in a place where it had never rained. People ridiculed him. People laughed at him. Or maybe close friends of his were still close friends of his, but they just didn't quite get it, like it is with us, like our extended family members. You know, it's, it's they, they don't ridicule us because of a relationship with Christ. They don't laugh at us and make fun of us, but they just... They're just not there. They, they just don't get it. They don't, they don't understand it. They're not interested. And we kind of view Noah as this guy that he brings his family into the ark and God seals it and all the millions of people who die, like he had no personal relationship with anyone, after being a preacher of righteousness, proclaiming truth, for 120 years? Like he didn't know anybody, like all the guys that brought the wood and, and maybe supplied some of the, some of the things that, that he needed and, and they all died. Friends died. Acquaintances died. Buddies died. Neighbors died. I mean, even Noah being obedient like he was, being honored like he was because of his faith, there was a cost involved in it. There was a price involved with that. It's not all sunshine and roses. Abraham. There's an extensive amount of, of Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He's an Earl of Chaldees with his family, his father, mother, brothers, sisters. And all of a sudden, God says, I want you to go to a place that I've prepared for you. Well, where is it, God? I'm not going to tell you. How will I know when I get there? Well, I'll tell you when you get there. So he leaves, not supposed to take anybody with him. Of course, he 
took Lot with him, which wasn't explicitly what the Lord commanded, and there were problems because of that later on. So he heads, if you look on a map, he heads way down here towards Saudi Arabia, and he heads all the way up across the desert, comes down into the promised land, and, and then God says, of course, you know, look at this, this stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore and all that kind of stuff. But what did it cost Abraham to be the father of the Jewish people? His family, his friends, everything he's ever known. I mean, everything he had ever known. I know some people um, who were born and die in the same town. I, when I got, when I was younger, I thought that was crazy because we moved around all the time. I mean, I've lived in this house for 20 years, and prior to this, I've moved 32 times. Uh, we moved all the time, and um, uh, you know, we just in high school. I went to four different high schools in three different states my four years of high school, and I knew going in to high school. I knew going in that my 11th grade, I was only going to be there for that year. And that summer we were going to move. It was just, it was just the way my family situation was. And, um, so not the way it was back in Abraham's day. I mean, I'm comfortable with everything. I know exactly where the Walmart is. I've gone to this church forever and ever and ever. Amen. My neighbors, I grew up with these neighbors. They grew up with these friends. I mean, we were we were in diapers together and went to high school together. And, you know, we, we got married. And, and I was best man at his wedding. And he was best man at my wedding. And then all of a sudden, God speaks and Abraham has faith to obey. But it cost him something. Every time we go through these heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, it cost each of them something immense. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Can you imagine what that would be? Steve, I'm having a dream. Maybe it's a vision. I'm not really sure. Or better than that, since Steffi's leaving, I'll go ahead and use Justice and Steffi as an example because it will make Steffi cry. Anyway, so God speaks to Justice. Justice, yes. Do you love me? Yes. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your only son, Lincoln. I want you to go three days from here to a mountain, I will tell you. And while you're there, I want you to sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. Would you do that? No. God, that can't be right. God couldn't say that. I'm thinking this up myself. And even if justice was convinced that this was God's will... What a hard sale it would be to tell Steffi. Know what I mean? Or what a, if, if, if God told me to do that to my son, my only son, then I come to Karen and go, hey, Justice and I are going to be uh, gone for a couple of days. Really, where are you going? Ah, we're going up to the top of Crowder's Mountain. I'm going to kill him there because God told me to, but I'll be back. It'll be okay. No, it doesn't work that way. But they did. I mean, what did it cost him? What did, what did it cost his wife? I mean, to, to obey. And, you know, the story turned out wonderful, but there was no guarantee of that. I mean, he believed it on faith. Isaac, good night, he's an old man and he's blind. And his last remembrance of his sons is that he was deceived. He was deceived by his wife and deceived by Jacob to give the, the birthright to Jacob and not to Esau. And then Esau comes in and, who are you? Well, I'm your son Esau. Well, who, who was the guy that just fixed me the game? It must have been J- Jacob. Well, I have already blessed him and, and he will be blessed. And Esau cried out. That's one of the last memories Isaac probably has of his two sons together because Jacob took off. Do you remember? Terrible. Terrible. Jacob. 
had to wrestle with God. He's trying to make things right. God touched him in the hip and he walked limp for the rest of his life. It cost him something. How about Joseph? By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, and it talks about prophetically here, but, but what about his life? I mean, had these dreams and visions and trusted the Lord enough to share them with his father and his brothers, and they turned against him, and they sold him into slavery, and every time he tried to do right, people either forgot him or they didn't believe him, and finally he was elevated in a land that wasn't his own to being second in command. And, of course, he got a chance through God's sovereignty to restore his family and protect them, but nevertheless, a great personal sacrifice. Faith costs Joseph something. And you're getting to Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. And his parents put him in a basket and shipped him down the river so he could now be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. From the very beginning of his life, Moses never even got a chance to be held by his mom as he grew older. And she was able to nurse him in the beginning, but, but as he grew older, and he was always kind of an outcast. And then all of a sudden, when he decided to do something powerful for God, what, what happened? It, it turns out exactly the wrong way. Pharaoh wants to kill him, so he runs into the dark side of the moon. Okay. And God plants him there until he's 80 years old. All his vibrant years are gone. And then he has a burning bush experience. And by that time, Moses doesn't even think he's possible of doing anything for God. Time has passed. I mean, man of incredible faith that led Israel to its freedom, crossed the Red Sea. His faith cost him something dearly, dearly from the time he was a young child. And then we have the rest. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will not fail me to tell you of Gideon, or Barak, or Samson, or Japheth, or David, or Samuel. There's Hannah. Doesn't have a child. It's kind of put down because she doesn't have a child. She, she goes to the temple and she's anguishing so much that her mouth is just moving and, and the high priest thinks she's drunk and she says, Lord, if you'll give me a child, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him to you the rest of his days. And God blesses her with the boy Samuel. It's time to give the Samuel up. Time to drop Samuel off at the church. Time to let go of your parenting. Oh, please let me keep him until the boy's weaned. So as soon as she finishes nursing him, she takes Samuel and she places him in the hands of Eli and his two wicked sons in a very carnal place. Do you remember? And she goes home alone. Now, yes, God gives her other children to maybe fill the void, but not for Samuel. But not for what happened, because Samuel, of course, was used mildly by the Lord, but wasn't raised with his mom, wasn't raised with his brothers, missed a whole lot of the things that are just common to people. What does it cost them? And the prophets, all of the prophets together, what did their faith cost them? Well, if you continue reading, it starts out by telling us the good points about faith. Who, through faith, subdued kingdoms? Absolutely. That's just incredible how God can do that. Same thing with them, same thing for you. He worked righteousness, obtained promises, and we hold on to those. If we have faith, we can believe God's promises. God will work righteousness through us. I mean, God can turn a whole kingdom around by the faith of just some praying men. So we have three positives. Boom, boom, boom. And the rest of it is almost all cost-oriented. Stop the mouths of lions. 
Well, how did that happen? Well, it's like Daniel being thrown in a lion's den. I mean, the fact is, he was getting ready to be killed. He's getting ready to be torn to shreds by, by lions. And, and there was this, this is, this is a, a negative thing. This is a, this isn't a blessing. This is something that looked like he was going to cost him his life. Quenched the violence of fire. That's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast into the fiery furnace. They're about to die. And the furnace was, was so hot that the men who cast them in there were consumed by it. Well, wait a second. So faith, there's a downside to faith. No, there's not a downside. It's just a costly side. That yes, faith will do amazing things that we will revel at. And yes, faith has a cost to it. They escaped the edge of the sword, which means people were out to kill them. Out of weakness were made strong, which means they were weak and sometimes sick and feeble. They became valiant in battle, which means probably they weren't, but God had to bolster their strength up like with Gideon and move them into a combat, into a war situation. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens, but it continues. Women received their dead raised to life again. Wow. So there's a, there's a mourning here. My husband has died. My sons have died. And hallelujah that they've been raised to life again, yet there's a loss, there's a cost in this faith. Others were tortured. Well, wait a second, Lord, you're giving me this roll call of faith, and you're telling me that this is somebody I need to emulate, but everything that I'm reading here talks about the cost of faith and talks about the horrific cost of faith, and, and that's not what's preached today. What's preached today is I'm the head and not the tail. What's preached today is God has cattle on a thousand hills, that I'm rich, that he wants me to have multiple cars and houses, that I can name and claim my own reality, and that... that the whole purpose of the Christian life, the reason why Jesus died for, is for me to have perfect health. How's that going for you? Immense wealth. How's that working? And, and live forever. Who would want to do that? When the opposite of that is being in the presence of the Lord with resplendent glory. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. We'll let you go. If you'll deny your Christ. No, I won't. I'll continue being tortured that they might obtain a better resurrection because this life means nothing. My faith is costly. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Flesh ripped off their back in a fashion of the passion of Christ. Yet in of chains and imprisonments. And we forget about this part. By faith, Noah, yes, Lord, give me the faith to build an ark and be a preacher of righteousness. By faith, Abraham, yes, Lord, give me the blessings that Abraham came. By faith, Moses, yes, Lord, to, to be able to, to see the Red Sea in front of me and just trust God. Well, how about the other side of this? How about the cost? You will never make the Olympic team well, first of all, if you're never on the Olympic team, you will never have an opportunity for a gold medal. Do you realize that? Only Olympic players get a chance for gold medals. I mean, they're not going to, it's not like the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes where they knock on my door and I'm out there and they've got the cameras and they say, hey, Steve, you win a gold medal. It doesn't work that way. Have to be on the Olympic team in order to get a gold medal. And every person who's on the Olympic team is so committed to their sport that they would be annoying if you just hung around. Hey, you want to go to the movie? I mean, I, I can't. Well, well, why? Well, I'm trying to make the Olympic basketball team, and I've got to dribble 3,000 times a day. I've got to shoot 
250 foul shots a day. I haven't put that in yet. And I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to worry. And it's going to cost me something to reach the level that I could possibly make the Olympic team and then possibly get a gold medal. Because the prize is important. And here's the cost. Women receive their dead raised to life again, which means there are dead that the women anguished over. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance, they might obtain a better resurrection and faith. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned like Paul, left for dead. And I believe that um, in Paul's situation, when he was left for dead and they thought he was dead, I think that's when he had his vision where he was taken up in the third heaven. I mean, God even... Anyway, it's another rabbit trail we'll hit later on. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. Well, there's no deliverance here. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. Now, wait a second. Some women received their dead back to life. That's not what's happening here. When you're sawed in two, it doesn't say that God put the pieces back together and everything was okay, like some sort of you know magic trip. Plus, God, don't you promise, like in our society today, don't you promise to bless us with material things in this narcissistic world that we live? No. And that's not what I promised them. They wondered about his sheepskins and goatskins being immensely wealthy, like many televangelists. No, they were destitute. They were afflicted. They were tormented in this world because there's a cost to faith. But God says, of, the, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. So when Jesus says that, Foxes have holes and birds have nests. Son of man has no place to lay their head. Neither did these people whom the Lord said the world was not worthy of them because there's a cost associated with faith. And all of these, had you attained a good testimony through faith, blessed God, you blessed them, didn't you? No, they did not receive the promise. They did not receive what they were looking for in this life. For God, having provided something better for us, that we should not be made per that they should not be made perfect apart from us, because the day will come when we'll all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and see Him as He is. So, what does this mean? Well, the um, Holy Spirit tells us as we continue reading, and I'll just go through this and quit. Chapter twelve, continuing on. Therefore based on what we've just learned about faith. <clears throat> Since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses who were tortured, who were beaten, who left their own homes, who sacrificed, willing to sacrifice their own children, who God said, I'm finished with you until he's 80 years old and then God raises him back up again. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us like a spider web. And let us run, not the sprint, but with endurance, the race that is set before us. And each of us has a different race. Each of us has a different finish line. Each of us have been called to do different things. But let's run that race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him did what? He was tortured. He was ridiculed. He was maligned. He endured the cross and the shame. 
but now is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, Lord, is that what you're doing here? I mean, are you, are you allowing these terrible things to happen to us as a nation or as a church or as individuals because you, you want us to, to, to grow in our faith? Are you, I mean, why is this happening? He continues. For consider him, Christ, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted a bloodshed striving against sin. And that's what happens to the church today. We get discouraged. I mean, things are just so tough right now and are really so hard. And I worry so much. Stop. Stop. That's what's eroding your faith is your worry because you want to control everything. You want to make sure it doesn't move into an area where you have to trust God because you don't trust God. You only trust you and what you can manipulate. Stop. He promises us that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which is our job, he takes care of everything else. We become weary and discouraged in our souls. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like getting up in the morning. I don't feel like life has any purpose. I don't feel like... I don't feel like, God, you're there anymore, but he is. It's all just based on our feelings. Have you forgotten, God says, the exhortation which speaks to you who are struggling with faith as sons? Then he quotes, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Okay. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Why? For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That's a promise. That's a promise. If you're chastened, it means he loves you. I mean, it's the same way with us. I I chasten my own children. I don't chasten yours. That's your job to do that. I mean, sometimes I do, and people get mad, but that's just me. But uh, it says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. That's painful. Every son whom he receives. So, Lord... There are tough times. There is a, there is a, a molding of my character. There is a, a building up of my faith by trials and tribulations where maybe, God, you put me in a situation that's so horrific that I can't do anything but just trust you. Exactly. Exactly. Because as long as I'm trusting me, as long as I can manipulate it, then there's no faith there. But maybe, God, in trying to make us complete vessels of him, being complete in him, as it talks about in Colossians, maybe he puts us in situations where we experience the cost of faith, so we'll have faith. It continues. If you endure chastening, well, I am. So what does that mean? God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? A really spoiled brat son. And a father who's not doing his job. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. There is a cost in this. Furthermore, he gives an earthly example. We have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. It is so true when you're, when you talk to men, not wimpy men, not, not as Arnold Schwarzenegger calls girly men, but you talk to real men and they talk about their fathers, they usually talk about them, their chastening with respect. Yeah, I'll tell you what my dad did. My dad would take this big old belt he had. I remember he used to hang it on the back side of the door. It was so big he couldn't even wear it. And when I messed up, he would take me outside and he would wear me out. Well, that's abuse. No, that's love. 
And these men, when they talk, these big men, when they talk about that, they appreciate what their father did because they realize that he did that because he loved them. My dad used to say this to me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I used to think, well, that is like dumb, you know? If it hurts you more than it hurts me, why do I have the red welts? Until I became a parent. It kind of breaks your heart. I used to tell my kids when I would, uh, when I would spank them, I used to say, why, why are you making me do this? I don't want to do this, but I got to do this. You remember that, Justice? I, I only spanked him, what, 600 times? That's just when he was 14. No, anyway, anyway. <laughs> Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we, not, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, and it seemed best to them, but he, God, for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, spiritual or physical, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me close with this. Therefore, strengthen the hands that lay down, that hang down. Oh, I'm so depressed. I feel so bad. I can't even look at somebody in the feet. I always just, or in the eyes, I always look, look at their feet. Yeah. You know? That's not what it's about. We're children. We're sons because we're chastened. And the feeble knees. I can't even get out of bed. My knees are all shaky and everything. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Rather healed. I mean... You want to have faith to move mountains? Cost you something. It'll cost you something to build that faith. It'll cost you loss. It'll cost you God taking away things sometimes that you hold on to as idols in your life. It, it costs you something. We, we, we lose a loved one. As sad as that is, my mother dies, my grandmother dies, my child dies, my wife dies, like with, with Tom or with Sherry. Okay, it, it happens. It, it happens. God could have kept it from happening, but he chose not to. Now we have a choice. We can be overwhelmed and blame God, or we can realize that God can use even this situation for the building up of my faith. It's the downside. It's the bad side. It's the cost that makes me more of a believer in him. Make sense? And if that wasn't enough, and I'll close with this, you can, um, you can go to the book of Job. Just first two chapters, Job. If you read the book of Job, Job has these horrific events happen to him in the first two chapters, and then all of a sudden he is visited by his friends, and Job has questions, and his friends have questions, and they're all trying to find out why this is happening to Job. And they're putting God's character at risk. Well, the reason why this is happening, Job, is because you really had hidden sin and nobody really knew about it. No, my heart is clean. That's not really happened. It, it did. Well, well, maybe you don't believe in God or maybe God's just, maybe God sees something in you that's not there. And, or maybe God just chooses favorites or maybe God is just mad at you or maybe, maybe, maybe. And, and all these dialogues go on in these philosophical positions and 
somebody else shows up and begins defending the character of, of God. And then all of a sudden, when God shows up in chapter 42, and basically, as the verses I read to you last week, says, well, were you there, Job, when I created Leviathan? This fire-breathing dragon, can you put a hook in his mouth? Can you call him as a pet? Can you do any of those things? Yeah, you'll give him respect and not give me respect. In the very end of the book, of course, Job prays for his friends and realizes that God gives and God takes away and blessed is the name of the Lord. But this whole thing began with something in the flesh that seems kind of unfair. God's in his heavens. Satan's wandering around. Satan comes up to God and God taunts Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Really? Well, that's because you blessed him. Now to take away all his wealth, crush him, and he'll curse you to his name. Fine. I'll show you it's not true. You go at it. Really? You're about to kill this man. You're about to destroy this man because of some conversation between you and Satan. In the flesh, that seems so unfair. So the God says, but don't touch his body. Can't You can't inflict him. So next couple verses, Job's sitting there and sons are out and daughters are out, um, um, you know, together having a dinner party or something of that nature. And the, the servants come in and, hey, the Sabaeans came by and they stole a quarter of all your wealth. And before that guy finished, somebody else comes in and said, they stole another quarter of your wealth, another quarter of your wealth, and another quarter of your wealth. Now you're absolutely destitute, Job, the richest guy on the earth. Your stock market has crashed and everything that you have is gone and the banks have frozen your account and you're done. And then all of a sudden the last one comes in, hey, this huge wind came blew through the four corners of the house they were in, and your seven sons and three daughters are dead. And before Job can even take a breath, he's hit with all this kind of stuff. Oh. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It happens again. Next chapter. God says, uh, Satan says, yeah, well, you know what? He'll curse you if you inflict his body with illness. Cancer, boils, leprosy, sores. Okay, well, go ahead, Satan. Have at him, but don't kill him. And so the next thing you see is Job inflicted with these horrific, horrific skin disease. In fact, he's covered with scabs, so much so that when his friends came up to visit and they saw him sitting in this pile of the ash heap that used to be his life, scraping scabs off with a broken piece of pottery and slinging them into the fire, and they sat down with him and said nothing for seven days. They were just grieved. Oh my gosh, can a man be brought that low? There was a purpose to that that Job didn't know. I mean, we know, looking back on it, because God reveals it to us, I mean, Job probably had many of the questions that we had. That's what happens in those 40-something chapters of Job. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it built his faith. And in the very end, God restored not only all his riches, but also, I mean, doubled them, really, but also gave him 10 more kids. And his latter life of Job was better than the first life of Job, because faith has a cost. As a price that's to be paid. And you and I have got to realize, as terrible things happen to us, the older you're going to get, your loved ones are going to die, people that you know are going to get sick, your body's going to break down, uh, 
in the financial system that we're in in our country right now, probably you're going to suffer some financial downturns. People are not going to understand you. Relationships are going to be severed. Your kids may not want to have anything to do with you. All the terrible things that you can't believe will ever happen to you might, possibly will. And when they do, you have a choice. Do I only receive what is good from God and refuse to see what is evil? Well, that's what's preached out here. But it's not what's preached in the scripture. Or do I want to have the kind of faith that God could do extraordinarily powerful things in my life, like he did with all these characters that we have in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, and yet realize that there's a price to be paid and a cost for intimacy with him. We talked about this last week, that if you want to have a vibrant, intimate close relationship with the Lord, closer than you ever have in your entire life, you're going to have to pay a price. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to surrender your will to Him. You're going to have to spend some time with Him. You're going to have to say no to things that don't matter and yes to things to do. That do. It works that way in a Christian life. And it's all up to us to be able to choose whether we embrace the bad, the, the cost of faith as well as the blessings of faith. Because many times one is hinged upon the other. Can you think of anyone in Scripture who was blessed with immense faith that that faith wasn't tested? And usually when that faith is tested, it's tested not by winning the lottery. It's tested by losing a job. It's tested by something painful that lets us have to rely on faith rather than our own self. And to grow in the Lord, we have to be willing to do that even during dark times. Amen? Let me pray. 